Hey everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Co-Creating with AI. I am Martin, and with me is my co-host Rasmus. How are you today, Rasmus? Pretty good. I decided to switch up my recording location. Uh, hopefully, uh, trees and light won't uh, disturb so much. How are you? I'm awesome. I've been uh, over the weekend. I was in Norway, and uh, I, we were at the Geiranger Fjord in Norway, looking at the fantastic mountains and water and uh, nature. That was incredible. Yeah, it's funny, like with Norway, like it's so close, like we're in Sweden, right? And I mean, I've been there, of course, but I haven't been there much. I went to Patagonia a bunch of years back. Yeah. And then I, I, I just came across some, I think it was Swedish or, or at least Scandinavian, uh, um, I mean, travelers. And they were like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've realized going here that Norway is just as good. Uh, it's just like, you know, <laughs> and 10x the price and yeah. 10x the travel. So I want to go, go to Patagonia. Yeah. More. No, yeah. I can definitely recommend going to Norway, no matter where you are in the world. Norwegian fjords are worth a visit. Awesome. So what are we going to talk, to about, talk about today? I mean, I think it would be fun to um, dive a bit more deeper into the different ways you can like, basically get an LLM to do a specific set of tasks for you. Uh, and, yes. uh, you know... I think a lot of people, and, and myself included, hear and maybe partially understand fine-tuning, um, you know, of course, training a model from scratch, and, and just prompting a general model like GPT-4, which is, which is probably what most people are most you know, familiar with. But, and uh, I think you had something new you were passionate about that could illustrate it a bit. So let's, uh, maybe we should start there. Yes. So uh, those three things you mentioned now are the basic ways you can adapt a model to to perform a specific task you can do prompt engineering which is the most lightweight way and very accessible for anyone to just uh, work with the with with the prompt to develop it and and there if you go into the open ai playground if you're using the open ai models you can work both with system prompts and user prompts and so on, and uh, develop patterns and, and workflows there to to uh, prompt AI to do a specific task better and better as you develop the prompt. And you can also ask the AI for for hints and tips. Uh, the the um, GPT four is not the best prompt engineer, but but it's a good co creator uh, when writing mm. prompts. And then there's fine tuning, which is less accessible. You need to uh, know a bit about uh, um, um, you, like how you use the, the the tools that go into um, training and and uh, of course fine tuning and tuning a model and then creating a model from scratch is a um, a whole different story because because of the huge amounts of data you need and and evals in order to to get the model to 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 work nicely but uh, of course those are the three main venues and and different companies choose different uh, ways and and depths of of uh, adapting models to to a specific task right so just like in terms of just before we dive into your example just on the level of like data right data and compute i guess first of all training a model a good model is you know very 
like data intensive, you need a lot of data, right? And you need a lot of compute to train it uh, because you need to run, you know, through this neural net like uh, many times. And find you, and, and then like prompting, you don't need any data. That's why they call it like, uh, you know, a one shot or a few shot kind of results uh, that you can get just with, you know, uh, one good prompt, you can potentially get uh, get very valuable outputs, like or get it to do a specific task well. But when it comes to fine tuning, like when is that even? I know we're not going to focus there today. So mm. just like when does it like make sense? Do you have any any grasp of of like the level of data you need? Is it like uh, you know in comparison to training a model from scratch? Because I know it's much cheaper. You can fine tune via API. Um, you know, via OpenAI, for example, you can fine tune their uh, 3.5 model, I think. Mm. Um, do you have any sense of that or understanding? Um, yes. So uh, fine tuning is great for when you have a more complex uh, task, which where few shot prompting doesn't work. Few shot prompting means that you just give one or two or three examples of this is how I would like you to answer this kind of question or uh, if you're giving this text and the task of extracting all the city names, here's an example of a text and here are the city names extracted from it. And then you can get it to conform very nicely to a specific output format or a specific way of answering a question or a tone of voice. If you, if you want to, um, for example, um, um, you want the, the LLM to answer an email in the same tone of voice that you do, then just a few short prompting is enough. Give it one or two or three emails and say, copy my tone of voice and write an answer to this email. And mm. uh, it will do that nicely. However, if you want to capture perhaps your entire uh, personality and, and breadth of, uh, of uh, working and thinking, then you can give it uh, perhaps hundreds of emails and messages you've you've uh, collected yeah. from work and you can fine-tune a model on that and then it will know how you react and respond to lots and lots of different situations where which, which can perhaps not be be um, as uh, uh, well captured with few shot prompting i mean that's great that's that's like a great frame of reference for me because then i sort of categorize it as whenever you want to have something like truly custom like say a company having an internal kind of chatbot um you mm -hmm. know that can actually represent the knowledge of the you know the company knowledge in, in their systems or if you as you say basically want a digital copy of yourself i remember like an earlier episode we took the example of like uh uh, people at a Swedish tech company who had a boss who they loved who was leaving and then they trained the model on him uh, and and most likely what they did was like fine-tune a model right if they took all his comments in all their internal tools and all his emails etc and then they had a little chat what they could could talk with would that be your guess as well because I don't actually remember like specifically how they achieved that but but would that be an example where you think fine-tuning is, is is what they like probably did Definitely, I, th I think so. And but there is a nuance uh, to to be aware of, which is that if you want to, if you want LLM to be able to um, have a copy different styles and formats and so on, and like ways of writing in a lot of different situations, then 
fine tuning is the best. But if you wanted to know a lot of different kinds of knowledge, if there are, a, if you have a big database of facts that you want yeah. the, the model to to learn, then fine tuning actually doesn't work as well. Then you mm. need to work with a semantic search or different ways of of uh, putting the right data, the right knowledge and facts into the prompt. So, uh, and you could also fine tune on the style, uh, but uh, for knowledge and facts, fine tuning is, is actually not the right method to use. Right, and I mean, and that's interesting as well because since LLMs are probabilistic, you know, knowledge and facts are not like necessarily like you, you even if you train. I mean, if you, even if you train, and maybe we get in there, like in this example where they've trained uh, um, in, in your example, but like even when you train a model on facts, you're not going to be completely sure that it's going to answer with facts if 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 you're not sure that there are only facts in there, right? Mm. Um, because uh, it, it, yeah, it learns probabilistically, uh, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, and it's also prone to hallucinations, of course. Yeah. If it doesn't have the facts, it will make make up the facts because what it yeah, has exactly. primarily learned is way of ways of reasoning and structuring text, and not not uh, the, the factual um, uh, contents. And also, if you listen to Sam Altman in some interviews, he says that. He's actually think, thinking that their models, uh, OpenAI models like GPT-4, are wasting a lot of um, precious uh, data space on knowledge unnecessarily. The The mm. goal is not for GPT-4 to know a lot of things, but to be able to reason. And if they, he, he, what he said was that if they could have had a method that only developed reasoning capabilities without storing facts and knowledge, and that's what he would have preferred, and and um, just to to allow the the AI to to be really really good at reasoning, and then you can you can give it the knowledge it should base its reasoning on. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense with like embeddings, be like and and the argument that the uh, vector databases created by running embeddings on on data uh, can function as long term memory. Uh, and you know the prompt or the history of like communicating with AI in this specific instance can be the short-term memory, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, great. I mean, I think like with the, I don't know. Before I think we're going to have time for that. Before we dive into the examples of, um, I mean, contrasting training a model from scratch and and mm-hmm. uh, just prompting a general model, like just staying with fine-tuning. We had a discussion, and this is probably going to be another episode, but just because I'm curious now. Uh, where we listened to a really good like A16C podcast episode, um, which I really recommend, um, about like AI as a second brain, right? So basically, hey, if I have a lot of knowledge I amass and 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 have digitally uh, that has been with me for a lot of years, you know, let's just for simplicity say it's my notes and my emails, right? Um, then fine tuning a model on that could in theory mean that I have no wait because that is the knowledge question again okay mm. so I back up yeah no I was I was gonna just to make that argument clear uh, like what what I may want to do and what is probably going to come is that I take all, all the digital knowledge that I have about me and then making it available to me when I need it uh, mm. you know and that's the same for an individual as for a company but then fine-tuning wouldn't be the way 
uh, because we're still like we're still uh, missing in that in that aspect of like that's that's knowledge that I want to capture, right? It it can also be style if you if you yeah. want to if if you want the AI to copy your writing style with with a really great level of precision precision in many situations, then fine tuning and using different ways of bringing data data and facts into the context uh, at inference uh, time of inference then that the combination of that could be extremely powerful right okay cool thanks i just wanted to make that clear in my head but let's mm. let's jump into your example to like make this vis- like sort of visualize this and um, and just your own experience here like with using cursor yes, yes. so uh, cursor is an amazing fork of vs code um, there's a uh, um, it's readily available for free from cursor.so. There's a business model to it as well if you want to use GPT-4 and a, a fast version of GPT-4 that they have access to through an open AI partner program for startups. And then you can you can pay a monthly fee as well. But cursor.so is an amazing code editor and it's VS code straight up. But they have made a fork for future proofing their their um, their editor as a platform. They could have built just a um, plugin as well, but uh, like a plugin to VS Code, which is what most companies are doing, uh, which is how GitHub Copilot worked and so on. But what the, what they realized was that in order for GitHub Copilot to work as it should. Um, GitHub and OpenAI actually got Microsoft to to um, inject a new hook into uh, VS Code as an editor where they mm. can hook in their plugin. And Cursor realized we we might not uh, be able to to get Microsoft to do that for us if we need. So we need to have con- complete control of the editor code. So they forked uh, VS Code completely, which is open source. And uh, so Cursor might uh, might end up being the first really competitive fork of VS Code that where it makes sense to use uh, the fork instead of the original uh, Microsoft uh, um, main branch. That's cool. Um, I mean, before we dive, just like why, yeah. like why, like why do you think that? And like this ties back to like the concept of like AI native. And I haven't used this right, but mm-hmm. used, used, but I'm just curious, like because you and I've seen a lot of people get really excited about Cursor, right? Yes. So, like, if, before we dive into like the the this comparison we were talking about before, like, why are you excited, and why do you think it's it's competitive with uh, VS Code? Yes, because it brings um, uh, the the experience of co-creating co-writing code with GPT four into the editor instead of uh, me working in Playground and copy pasting code back and forth, back and forth, then copying copying. Mm-hmm. Um, the the error messages that that or com- compiler errors or runtime errors back into playground to, in order for GPT four to to take them into account when drafting the next version of the of, of next iteration of code, I can have GPT four live inside the editor in a great way and interact both on specific code blocks and on the file in general, and mm-hmm. they also have at um. When I'm chatting with GPT-4, I can do at and and address a specific code file 
or even documentation of a code library. So I can say extract from at node.js uh, the, the specifics and, and tell me how to write this, uh, this part of the code where, where I'm, I need to use node.js documentation or we need to leverage node.js documentation. And so it allows for the user to to find like finally control what is in the in the in the context, and that is a huge nuisance with just using playground or ChatGPT yeah. when you're coding. And I think that's that's really interesting for me. And just like how does that work then? Because is it that it actually then takes your whatever like namespace or or lib you're mentioning? And it actually provides that in the prompt, similar to how I would in, you know, code interpreter, like drop a CSV file. Is that actually how it works? That it just yes. puts it in the prompt and yeah, sends it, puts it, it now? Yeah, it puts it in, in, the, in the prompt. Okay. And I, I can also uh, nicely um, edit the, the system prompt. So I can, there I can put the general rules that I, that I always want to apply. And uh, so there are, it's a really nice tool to manage both the system prompt and, and the user prompt or the context when, when prompting. And you can very easily um, continue the same thread of, of mm. thought, or you can start a new thread from scratch. And by default, it always has the currently open file in context. And then you can um, at name other at reference other files to bring them into the context and mm. and uh, they also have plans of, of automating and that so that the the gpt4 will automatically bring in the the files it want to reference or need to reference when generating new code also oh, it 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 knows your library like it your general like like what files are there and it can say hey like it can actually pull those it has yes, access exactly. to pull those if it wants yeah. to as part of solving the task, similar to like, I don't know if it was last episode or a couple episodes ago when we talked about, the, um, I mean, it used to be called Code Interpreter, but the advanced data analysis mm. that it can, you know, use all these scientific, like all these libs, like the, the, all these, um, was it like SciTorch, you know what it was called? The, uh, the different... Um, I mean, for example, you took the, you took the example of image recognition, right? Mm. Like that you could, uh, it, it had a lib for that and it could use it. Is it similar here that it can like, it it like it basically, you're, you're always like it automatic cursor always provides GPT-4 with, hey, th these are the files available so that it knows that it can pull them. At, at least, like, uh, at least that's in the, in the tech plan, in the roadmap okay. that they have. Okay. I'm not okay. sure that it currently does so, but that's, that's in the roadmap. Yeah. And did and you then, ever run into like context window there, like context window issues? No, no, it, uh, not not so far. But, but and that's also because it's so easy to restart a thread over and and con construct mm. the context that um, when I when I work in playground with code, I have I've i carefully find like um, worked a lot on setting up the right context, and I want to work mm. in that context for as long as possible. And then I run into like going too far and extending the context window, with, like so it doesn't fit anymore uh, into into um, what GPT four can handle with eight uh, K tokens. And but um, uh, since since uh, I I don't have access to the thirty two K 
uh, token uh, version of GPT-4, and it's it's hugely expensive. It costs something yeah. like a dollar, almost a dollar per per call. Um, so that can easily amount to uh, like a hundred dollars or a couple yeah. hundred dollars or just working one day, which can can be worth it if uh, like that's that's if you see it as a developer salary, it's a low salary, and like to, to pay a developer hundred dollars per day instead of per hour. And, um, but, um, but in, in any case, um, uh, in cursor, it's so easy to start over and, and reconstruct a new context that I can do it much mm. more often with, uh, zero to low effort. And that means that I never run into issues with the context size. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's like, I think a real concrete example of like, uh, what I would call like an, an, like, I don't know, like an AI native product, but like an AI first product, like that really thought like cursor was made because it wants you to code with AI, right? Yeah. And, and then context construction, like taking whatever your, like your files, having access to that and then easily constructing context without it being an effort. That's, I mean, that, that really feels like a very general thing that the best like products, like AI first products will do going forward is like okay here's i have my relevant data in whatever the product is and then how do i make that available in a good way like when i need it to to the ai to to do something for me mm. it's like a very very like concrete example for me um, yes but yeah going back to the uh the start of where we started yeah. this with so like the it, general prompting and the um yeah, so interestingly um since um uh, cursor is a fork of vs code the copilot the github copilot plugin also works in cursor and not only in in vs code so that and and github copilot is is uh, it's a trained model it was a model trained from scratch on on github open source code and it means that when i work in cursor i get the benefit of both the proactive um, uh, suggestions from github copilot which is uh, um, a model trained from scratch. And I also get the reactive um, input from GPT-4, which is a general model, which I invoke in prompt and, and construct a prompt for. So it, it, it's two completely different methods of working. GitHub Copilot completely automatically constructs its context. I have no uh, transparency in what's in uh, the copilot context I, I have no control over it but it still works beautifully because they worked a lot mm. on on getting that um, into a robust state and and then with gpt4 i manually construct the the context and i manually invoke it so so and then having both in the same editor is actually a really powerful package. Cool. I mean, that's that's really interesting to hear. So just like to see if I understand this correctly. I mean, when you train GPT-4 is basically trained on a lot of different types of data, but but primarily in the form of text, right? That includes both code and uh, blog posts, right? And Codex, which is behind then uh, the what uh, like the GitHub uh, Copilot. Mm. It's trained on code, at least primarily, if not exclusively. Uh, and therefore, like if I understand this correctly, GPT-4, I mean, does next word prediction, right? 
whatever you put, like we're actually next token prediction, but what is the next token slash word going to be? And it's the same thing with, with Codex, right? But it's just like it's only trained, or at least mostly trained on code. So therefore, it's going to predict the next token, but in the context of, hey, coding. So, yes. and, and, and really what it's doing is like, providing that raw you know prompting codex is like hey these are this is my code here please continue hmm. you know that's literally what the model does in its base yes. what comes next and what they do is they can then uh, provide that proactively because it doesn't need an instruction about what to do uh, in the form of a prompt it like yeah. it literally is what it does is predicting the next and the only thing they limit i guess they instruct this that always instruct you know it will always uh, suggest you know the next hundred tokens or always suggest mm. until the end of a uh, i don't know uh, what the relevant technical uh, delimiter would be but like does mm. that make sense is that a, like, yeah. a decent understanding yeah? yeah definitely that's that's exactly how it works and and so so uh it, it's really like th that's also a way that it differs that uh, co codex or uh, copilot is offering completions while mm. Uh, GPT-4 offers a, a, a chat completion where it, it's a back and forth uh, um, sending messages between user and assistant. Mm. But could you theoretically, like with Codex, I don't know, this is maybe like a hard question to answer, but could you instruct it to write some specific kind of code? Like, could you say, like, could you say hey, I want to build uh, an app that does this? Do you know what I mean? Yes. So what you do is to, you, because it's a very common uh, um, occurrence when you're coding that you put a, a comment on top of each method explaining yeah. what the method does. So if you write in, uh, you write a comment saying, uh, "Here's a method for sorting an array of uh, of of strings," then yeah. and then you and and then you um, enter new line then. Codex will suggest the implementation of a method that that sorts an array of strings. So yeah. it actually uh, is also very possible to instruct it that way, like indirectly instruct it. Right, because you just okay, right, because you just write the comment and then you yeah. auto, it auto completes yeah. what is below the comment, which is code. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I mean that's really interesting. Um, and, you can also do the the opposite if you write the method and then you go to the top and you say like you just start a comment and then it will suggest the comment for you like interpreting what the method does into mm. into text so it can also produce text for you another example that um a, a really really good developer tool is find.com p h i n d.com which is a startup that produces a, a really good developer or programming um, uh, chatbot, basically. And it's uh, they have also leveraged this this difference between fine tuning and using a general model. And also, it's a great example of of context management because what they have done is that they have indexed the documentation of of probably hundreds of thousands of open source projects and libraries and um, and perhaps also commercial uh, libraries. And so they have a semantic search so they can pull into the context of their prompting any kind of documentation that AI could need. 
and then they are either you can prompt either a general LLM like GPT-4, which they call this the smart model, and then you can prompt GPT-3.5, which they call the fast model, and then they have they actually have fine-tuned Meta's coding model, which is called Code Llama. So there is a there is a model out called Find Code Llama. Uh, 32 billion parameters is in that model in the in the first version and um, so they have done a fine tuning of the model that that meta has trained from scratch and the fine tuning they say is actually performing for performing better at human eval than gpt4 like slightly better and and um, so and and then if you choose that model inside find um they will say that you're now using the best model so that's yeah, that's their nomenclature yeah uh, best best smart and fast yes uh, at least not slow stupid and slightly better mm. that's good marketing but okay cool i mean so that but that's that's and mm. and uh, right so they took this that's actually interesting so like you could almost compare code llama to codex right like those would be like they tried to do the same thing train a base model on code mm. yeah yes. and then what they decided to do here is fine-tune that code model on mm. a bunch of open source code yes right or for yeah. a specific do, do you do it for a specific task right no you, you just do you do it on a specific data set which implies the things like how you want it to think, mm. right? Yeah. You basically run that data through the model again, and then it, it sort of, the weights updates, like the neural net adapts. Like if I learn something, my brain will change a little bit. Yeah. And if I, I learn a lot. Sure. Then, like you, can, yeah? you can fine tune, if you have a completion model like Codex, you can actually fine tune it to be a chat completion model. Um, mm. So, that might be also what what uh, find have done with code llama to turn it into a chat model uh, or a chat completion right. model i'm not sure right. but but that that's an example of uh, of fine tuning a model in order to make sure that it adheres to a, to a structured output right 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 yeah makes sense mm. i mean we're running on in into the the half an hour now yes uh, so but I mean, I think this this uh, this is kind of a me asking question episode. But it leaves me more curious to understand even better, like, how, like what what like what fine tuning is and how like in what different ways it can be applied. Because I feel like I have a decent understanding of like, okay, we've trained a general model. It's mm. next token prediction. It's trained on some data set. That means it's going to predict the next token based on that data set, and then prompting, which is just like. Based, like instructing that model to do something, you know, mm. basically do net do next word prediction based on some kind of instruction that informs it, you know, which tokens to 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 suggest or generate. But the fine tuning one, I'm I'm still like uh, I still really want to dive deeper and understand. So maybe I'll try to do that, and we could have like mm. find and and find more examples. And I'm going to look into find as well. So thanks for yeah. that uh, that suggestion. Another small clue to understand the relationship between fine-tuning and training is that fine-tuning is basically just to to train it a bit more. It's that you do the same, uh, use the same mechanism to fine-tune and train, but when you train a model, you start from scratch. It knows nothing. 
And when you yeah. fine tune, you 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 continue the training of a model that is already capable of something. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like curious how that feeds into like being able to control the output better to get it out the adhere to a certain output. But that's probably mm. just me not understanding it well enough. But, but yeah. by the way, before we forget, you had a you had a show and tell today on the topic yes. of co-creating so with AI. Yeah, I saw the found this in Sweden. Uh, Coca Cola has a bit of uh, advertising, perhaps in, in like, but they've um, released th- uh, a series of three thousand limited uh, edition cans in Sweden of uh, uh, Coca Cola Creations, which is a future-inspired flavor co-created with AI. And I just wanted to bring it to the show because uh, and this podcast is, of course, co-creating with AI podcast and. Coca-Cola is now co-creating their flavors with AI. I think that's just an example, an amazing example of how both co-creation as a concept and AI as a concept is is creeping into the mainstream. Yeah. And does it taste good? Like, how is oh, it? Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's it's a good. fresh flavor, fl- fresh take on Coke Zero. Cool. Good to hear. I mean, thanks a lot, Martin. It's been fun. Thanks, Rasmus. Um, yes. Yeah. And uh, thank you to the viewers as well. Uh, for staying with us all the way to the end. And uh, this has been an episode of Co-Creating with AI. As always, email us as at martin or rasmus at multiply.co. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye.